2: Hi, I'm your host, Eli Sussman, and welcome to a special episode of The Line. Today, you'll hear the audio recording of a live event I recently hosted called Lessons Learned, Tales from Small Business Owners. The event featured captivating stories from four business owners who shared their personal story in the restaurant business. In between each speaker, I've shared a few stories of my own. The event took place at the Tillett Showroom in New York City in October of 2022. Special thanks goes out to the event partner, TD Bank, and our hosts, the founder of Tillit, Jenny and Alex, and of course, our storytellers. The first small business storyteller you will hear is Eric Wang, chef and owner of Pecking House, in Brooklyn. An 11 Madison Park alum, the pandemic caused Eric to re-examine his career and led him to start a fried chicken pop-up. He found that fried chicken made him rethink everything and that his own restaurant opening has led him to pursue a different model and mindset in terms of employment, teamwork, and hospitality. Johnny Sparrow of Bar Sparrow in Washington, D.C. told the story of finally opening his Georgetown restaurant, Reverie. But after finally opening and even receiving a Michelin star, he had to face the devastation and shock when awoken in the middle of the night by a 4 a.m. phone call as he rushed to his restaurant to find that it had completely burned down difficult to fully deconstruct in only a short period he gives us a glimpse into his psyche of how he's navigating such a complex and emotional road back to reopening jahira gonzalez of pop and poor in washington heights spoke about her business surviving the pandemic her strength came from her ability to find positives even in the face of mounting adversity She talks about making sure to do your research before making decisions, being flexible at all times, understanding sacrifices you may need to make, and to lean on others for help when needed. Closing out the evening was Buddy the Bar's Claire Sprouse, who owned the just recently closed Hunky Dory in Crown Heights, Brooklyn. Although she built a beautiful community restaurant that received many accolades, the timing of the pandemic and the need to prioritize her personal life. Helps her make the almost impossible decision to permanently close the restaurant. In her first time speaking publicly about the closing, Claire speaks about coming to the decision to close and cautions that anyone considering the restaurant industry should take a deep look at what they really want to do before truly jumping in. Every restaurant is filled with stories of failure, success, and everything in between. The Line has always been about chefs and owners sharing their own stories, and I'm honored to bring these four stories to you today. Now, onto the episode.
3: Thank you so much, and thanks everyone for coming. So, of course, tonight is all about storytelling, and that's what my podcast is about. The Line is an opportunity for chefs and restaurant owners to, in a long format, talk about the trajectory of their career, so... It's a one-on-one interview with me, and basically the reason that I started it was because I left my chef job to open my own business, and I didn't know what I was doing. I had uh, I, I thought I had it figured out, and what you realize very quickly when you go to open up your own business is that you have nothing figured out. So I thought, oh, this is great. I'll just invite all these really accomplished people uh, onto this podcast, and I'll just you know, really hammer them with questions and they can tell me about all the uh, stupid things that they've done and I won't make any of those mistakes. The problem is that I opened my restaurant and I made every single one of those stupid mistakes and then I made a hundred more. So um, in between everyone tonight, I'm going to tell you a couple quick stories about my experience as a restaurant owner. You could determine whether, you know, they're idiotic or whether, uh, you know, there's something to take away from them. But I think one of the most amazing things about being a small business owner is that you often live and die by your own decisions. That can be a very lonely and scary and dangerous place to be. So um, a lot of the stories that are gonna be shared tonight are people uh, telling you vulnerable stories about them experiencing maybe highs, but often very lows about their career. So it's exciting to have an amazing group of storytellers with us tonight um, and sharing some of, uh, you know, maybe the most tumultuous aspects of their professional careers and as we know when people work in the hospitality industry, your professional career is your personal life as well. So these aren't just their careers, this is their lives, they are fully intertwined. So. A quick, quick story, and then we're going to start with our our first official storyteller. Uh, My restaurant in Williamsburg, we quickly realized that we needed to really embrace catering to be successful. And we partnered with Etsy, which um, has an office in Dumbo, and they had this amazing program to tap local restaurants to cater their office lunches. was a great opportunity for us we were a small business and we really wanted to knock it out of the park we'd work with them a couple times and we um had often uh tried to you know every single time up the quality and expansiveness of the menu so basically what you do with etsy is you are required to bring enough food to feed 550 people Okay, so they have a cafeteria in their office, and boom, you bring the food, everyone walks in, they have four lines, like hotlines in a cafeteria, they grab plates, and those people, they mob it. It's free lunch, right? So they go crazy. So you spend about three days prepping before in the restaurant, and then you bring all the food over, right? So uh, after a very long day of opening and closing the restaurant, I had left one of um, our team there to finish cooking all the chicken cutting it and cooling it in the walk-in, all right? 400 pounds of chicken for 550 people and about a thousand pounds of other things, rice and some greens. So we felt good. I went to bed and at about five in the morning, I woke up and I thought, you know what? I should just head over to the restaurant. And I opened up the walk-in and I was hit with that funky smell of something being wrong, right? So. When you cool chicken improperly, when you put hot chicken on top of warm chicken and you stack it in a Lexan and a Cambro, things don't cool properly. And what it smells like is terrible. smells like farts. (laughs) And so I knew that something was wrong. So uh, I went out to the back alley and I said every curse word that could possibly exist. And then I came back into the restaurant and uh, my brother, who is my business partner, Uh, I called him and he only lived a couple blocks away and and I said, you gotta get over here. We gotta figure out what to do. And he walked in and uh, I said, what are we gonna do? We gotta call him. we gotta cancel. And he said, we're not gonna cancel, we need this. We need this income and we need to deliver or else you're never gonna call us again. So what did we do? He said, fire up the ovens, cook all the chicken that we have. So we were very, very lucky that the day prior we had gotten our chicken delivery to marinate it, right? So we actually had the product there. The problem was we had 400 pounds of raw chicken sitting next to 400 pounds of cooked chicken. So it was just the two of us, and we kicked it into gear, and over the next 30 minutes, two more people came in. An hour later, two more people came in, and we cooked 400 pounds of chicken. I called our contact at Etsy, and I said, lunch is going to be late, but I promise it's going to be delicious. And I took my little beater Prius and we threw cooked chicken in the back of it in about 150 pound batches. And we sent someone in a cab over to Etsy and we ran chicken in three rounds over to Etsy. Were they happy? They were okay about it. (laughs) They liked the ingenuity of us delivering the meal. But the takeaway that I have is that, you know, Every problem has a solution. Every terrible thing that happens inside of a restaurant has, you have a choice. There's a fork in the road. There's, do I crumble in a ball and cry and say, I've just lost my $12,000 catering and this month is shot? Or do I say, uh, let's try to make something happen? Um, So we've, we've made it work. We did as good of a job as we could do in that situation and they let us come back. And that was the key to you know, solving that problem. It also teaches you a lot about how to present yourself to your employees when they come through the door. If you're frantic and you throw the blame at somebody else, you've probably lost the catering, lost an employee, and you've probably lost your control over the environment. So um, it was a big learning experience for me Um, looking to my brother as not only a partner but someone with more experience on how to deal with that situation. So we turned a negative uh, into a positive. And I think that if you can do that 50, 60 percent of the time in the restaurant, you can keep the doors open and keep the lights on. So um, we're going to bring up our first storyteller right now. Eric, come
2: on.
4: I'm gonna sit. There's a stool here. That's why I started playing the cello because uh, sitting is better than standing, playing the violin. Um, all right, my name is Eric Huang. I'm the chef owner of Pecking House. We have uh, just opened our first brick and mortar after a very long two year journey existing as a transient nomadic restaurant, doing pop ups in Queens and my family's restaurant, um, through uh, renting some space at my, my friend's restaurant in Brooklyn, and now we finally have our own uh, restaurant in built out our own space and it was a hell of a journey. I'm gonna try to keep things as positive as possible because I could sit up here and complain endlessly about how owning a restaurant sucks, but uh, (laughs) I'm gonna try to keep it a little more lighthearted. So yeah, I I worked in fine dining for forever and ever, over 12 years in New York City, and uh, that keeps you in a very specific box. My my last job before starting Pecking House was uh, at a restaurant that Eli likes to make fun of, called Eleven Madison Park. Uh, I was the sous chef there, and uh, that, 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 uh, that restaurant appears in his account a lot. Um, but it, it's a very myopic, narrow-minded, uh, tunnel vision kind of approach to hospitality, right? And at that time, you're, you're told it's the objective superlative. This is the best of the best of the best. This is what everyone should be striving towards. And that was my goal forever. That was my, my north star. I followed that forever. You know, no matter how hard life was, how hard the job was, how many setbacks I had, I, I followed that. You know, one day I'm going to open a restaurant, and um, it's going to be even better than that. It's going to be you know, uh, doing way more than Eleven Madison Park ever hoped to. Could, you know, for people of color, for, for my culture as a Chinese American, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but then, obviously, some stuff happened in uh, spring of 2020. We had a little bit of a pandemic, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just a, little, just a slight, slight uh, change of plans. Um, so I took to helping my family restaurants out. That's what happened. I was helping my mom out, doing takeout, making dim sum, um, which was crazy. And then eventually I helped my uncle out. His restaurant had been shuttered since lockdown. He was unable anyway, let's keep it open. And I just started this little fried chicken thing and uh, was figuring out how to deliver fried chicken. And yes, I know it's stupid to deliver fried chicken, but fryers <laughs> were the only thing that worked there. Um, so figuring out how to deliver to New Yorkers. And I never ever planned on it being a, uh, you know, to take off, to, to have success. I, you know, always use the joke that it's an, it was an unplanned pregnancy. Um, ironically, I'm the only panelist that does not have children. Um, <laughs> So yeah, but I mean, you know, that's exactly what it was. You know, it was stressful. It was totally unexpected. It was crazy. You're just figuring things out on the fly. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, something incredibly great, grateful for, and really appreciative of. Um, so I think even for a long time, though, even though Pecking House was, you know, enduring a lot of, enjoying a lot of success and doing really well in the press, and you know, all these New Yorkers locked in their apartments, desperate for a really good meal. It was, it was going well. I, I still was very obsessed with this idea of doing fine dining and you know opening a fine dining restaurant and it took me a long time to realize like oh hey like this food really makes people happy um it's so approachable it's so comforting and that's what really made me want to make it a real thing and uh you know it made sense in that regard uh to 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 try to open a new kind of restaurant in the wake of a pandemic and to do something different i mean if we had a globally cataclysmic event like the pandemic and you went back to doing things exactly the way it was before I mean like boo on you you know like that's that's pretty lame so we you know always tried to approach it like if we're going to do this we got to do it really differently um and that meant from you know everything from how we take out garbage how we recycle committing to composting and how we especially treat staff you know I was a cook in New York City for over 10 years and that's not an easy thing to do and you're making, you know, when I first started as a cook here, you know, making nine fifty dollars 50 an hour. It was common practice to be told to go clock out, but yet go back to work. So it's like, you know, why, why should we keep continuing to prop up these systems of exploitation and privilege and um, unrealistic expectations? So we really, really tried to do things differently. Um, but, of course, that's super hard. Um, there are systems and precedent for the way we do things for Decades, if not centuries, and trying to upend everything, even though everything has changed, is not easy. Um, you know, just committing to not using plastic wrap. I mean, I never used third pan lids and hotel pan lids ever. Like we just plastic wrapped everything, right? But it's like, you know, this is so stupid. Why are we putting tons and tons of plastic into the garbage? Um, that's with its challenges because you know, buying lids is expensive. Maintaining lids the right way is expensive. Uh, composting, like I never composted ever. We just threw everything right in the trash. Um, it's a little challenging to explain to the Department of Health that the meat sitting out is is rotting at a controlled at a controlled pace. <laughs> we we got we, we got this under control. We know what we're doing. Okay, all right. Um, so I mean, think you know everything like that. But most importantly, you know, I wanted to treat people differently. And you know, everybody here who's in hospitality and restaurants know how hard it is to hire, how difficult it was to work for so little money to work that hard. And so we really wanted to figure it out differently. I did a little pop-up in California for a month and it was super, super busy. I was really grateful for it, but we were getting crushed. We were just totally weren't expecting it. And I was really confused. Like all the cooks like seemed pretty like cheerful about it. And they were like, oh man, like we're getting crushed. I was like, what is going on? Like California, like legalized marijuana, just the attitude. I don't know what it is. Like everyone's super happy about this. Like in New York I was just like bitter every time I heard the ticket printer start going. Um, but then I learned they were like, oh, well, you know, we get tips. And I was like, whoa, that's not a thing in New York, you know? Like, so the busier the restaurant is, they, they get a return on investment there. And that made total sense to me. Everybody from a morale standpoint, you know, even if it's not a significant amount of money, they feel invested in the success of the restaurant. So I wanted to take that back to New York. Like, how do we figure that out? And, you know, as you can imagine with everything in New York City, with bureaucracy and laws, it's complicated. Um, it's confusing. There's a reason people haven't really done that, but was was really committed to figuring it out. Uh, you know, every everybody here who has professionally cooked, it, it sucks to take home ten dollars an hour while servers are like counting stacks of gold, like at the pass, and you're sucking down degreaser at the at the <laughs> stove. You know, so that's, that's that's not a really pleasant exercise uh, in humanity. So we really wanted to figure that out, and you know, turns out if you pay everybody minimum wage and you know, you structure things in a certain way, you can, you can just share the tip pool around everyone. And I didn't know how that was gonna work, uh, but after a couple of weeks, we realized, hey, like, this is great for everyone. Everyone's contributing, everyone's part of the tip pool. Everyone does super well. And everyone's making over 22, $23 an hour. And uh, I didn't think it would go that well. <laughs> um, and you know, tipping as a system is something we can certainly talk about endlessly. Um, I don't love it, but it is here for better or worse. Um, but at the very least, we can use it to our benefit, and it's you know not even, you know, coming close to anything that would be considered exploitative. We're talking like eighteen percent tip averages on a forty dollars check, um, and a- using that to able to split the resources. Now, cooks are making over twenty two dollars an hour, front of house people are making over twenty two dollars an hour, and. It really works out you know i think every restaurant every hospitality group in the city loves to preach the one team one dream thing or like we're family which is like the most toxic you know thing you could possibly say <laughs> what you're basically saying is like oh well, we all have undiagnosed mental health problems and you gotta suck it up uh, but uh you know i i very much strive to avoid that term family but it is a team everyone's invested in the success of the restaurant if it's busy the cooks do well if it's busy the, the dining room team does well and You know, there's no, like, oh, this is my job, this is your job. You know, everyone's, like, hauling trash, everyone's cleaning bathrooms, you know. It's, like, just completely changes the mindset of how you approach a restaurant and how you approach this collaborative teamwork environment. And, uh, you know, I I wish I could say I knew it was going to go that well. And, you know, like, oh, I I totally knew. It was great. (laughs) Um, But, you know, I had no idea it was going to work out as well as it did. But it's, you know, not even just from a financial perspective, from a morale and attitude mindset, it's been So, so amazing. And, uh, you know, as I'm sure everyone here can talk about, there's a lot of really hard parts about owning a restaurant, a lot of failures, a lot of personal mistakes, you know, a restaurant the build out, went over budget, how many times, how many times you have to go back to the bank for money, go back to the investors for money. That stuff hurts so bad, but these little victories and these things that go well, I think we all have to really appreciate when things work out and your ingenuity and you know, taking a leap of faith on something and uh, having it work out and that's by no means easy, um, but I think it's worthwhile to commit to doing something differently, especially in the wake of something that completely upended our industry. So I'm very grateful to say that Peking House is doing well in that regard and uh, I never planned on being a fried chicken chef, but here we are. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Right, thank you. Uh, we're going to bring up our next storyteller. Tira? Really? Yeah.
5: <laughs> <laughs> Hi, uh, my name is Jahira Gonzalez, and I own Pop and Poor Wine Bar. Um, we're located on 200 Dykeman Street, that's in the Inwood area, or all the way uptown. <laughs> um, so, let me tell you how this happened. Um, you know, my my original concept or my original idea was not even a restaurant. It was a wine boutique, it was AKA a liquor store. Um, so you know, I do all my due diligence, I do my research, um, you know, I talk to whoever I can talk to. Um, and this was about 2015. And uh, in 2017, I decided, okay, you know what? I'm ready, I'm I'm gonna do this. I found my space. I fell in love with it. Unfortunately, someone who already had a liquor store, which was a small little bulletproof liquor store, (laughs) decided that they wanted to oppose us opening. Fine, it's fine, you know what? I went back and said, you know, this is, this is what I'm trying to do. I had all my pictures, all my projects, everything, and I go back to the SLA, and I'm like, listen, this is very different to what this man has, like three, four blocks away. Um, I wasn't going to interfere with his business. He wasn't going to interfere with mine. I knew that because it was a completely different concept uh, than what he had. Um, that didn't work. that didn't work. So, um, you know what? I, I went in, I was denied the liquor license that first time. I went the second time. This time I was eight months pregnant. So when I was denied, I cried all (laughs) the way home. (laughs) I cried. I cried. Um, I called one of my best friends and I'm like, listen, um, you know, I fucked up. <laughs> I fucked up, I don't know what I'm gonna do. She's a, a chef, um, at the time she was a sous chef. So we talked about it and this would be her opportunity to just kind of shine in, in the kitchen, to, to do her own thing, to, you know, um, work with me. You know, we were gonna work together, we get along perfectly. So we spoke about it, we did our research, we, you know, we did everything and anything that you can think of just to make sure that this was going to work. Um, so you know, while I am doing all that, and while I was waiting for that liquor license, of course, and I probably should have said that before, we had already, mistake number one, started building. Um, so luckily it was just shelves. Um, so it wasn't too much, you know, Home Depot. <laughs> uh, um, so I had to bring all that stuff down again. Um, she worked on her menu. Um, that menu had to be small plates, tapas style because we have an electric kitchen. Um, the space that I chose, another mistake, um, was, didn't have an existing kitchen. This was a women's accessory store. That I was going to turn into a, a wine boutique. Um, so we had to, okay, brainstorm and bring in all that good stuff, <laughs> all those electrical uh, uh, machines. And um, you know what? After that, you know, she did her magic in the kitchen. I worked on the uh, on our wine list, uh, beer as well. Um, you know, because once I went back that third time, I did get a liquor license, but they only approved the wine and beer. Uh. <laughs> um, if anyone is familiar with the Dykman area, it's, it's very active. It's a party area, you know. Uh, not too many people really go for wine. Um, so the reason why I wanted to bring in the wine boutique was because I wanted to somewhat educate and I knew that there was that crowd. I know, it's still there, <laughs> it's still there. Um, but fine, you know what, I was persistent and I said, this is what's gonna happen and you know, I already have the space, I've already invested this money, so I'm gonna open up as Bob and Poor Cafe. So when we first opened, it was uh, February 14th of 2017, um, it was great. It was a success. Um, you know, it's it's a cozy, it's a cozy uh, establishment. Dim lights. Um, you can have a conversation, whereas the rest of the places, it's you know, party and a lot going on. Um, so it worked. It it worked for us. Um, but you know, in my heart, I still have that love for the wine, that love for that wine boutique, for that. A.K.A. liquor store, um, you know I, I I don't know how we even made it work. She had more experience than I did because this was not what I wanted to do. So I had to learn as I went. You know, as time passed, I had to learn. Um, <laughs> I I learned to bartend. The only place I did not touch was the kitchen. And I still don't touch it, but, you know, I had to bartend. I've had to mop the floors. I've had to be the dishwasher. I've had to be everything and anything that you can think of in that place. <laughs> but I love it, and it did make me stronger. I feel that after this, um, you know, it's a very hard industry, so after this, I feel like I can take on whatever, you know, just, just bring it on. I, <laughs> bring it on. I can do it. Um I'm, I, I am blessed, though, Then you know, like most of us in the industry, I was hit with uh, COVID, of course, and I lost people, I lost employees. Um, and it kind of just set me back a couple of years. Um, when COVID came to, you know, <laughs> I don't even know what word to use for it. Uh, it was my third year, 2020. So that's when I was seeing a little bit of a... <sighs> A little air, I was breathing, I was, you know, things were different, um, but it, like I said, it set me back, um, so I felt like I had to kind of start over, um, that was depressing, <laughs> and I went through my, my ups and downs, I went to therapy, that helped, <laughs> that helped, but today, you know what, we, we were able to overcome all that, and I see things going forward, and I'm very happy to be here. Very blessed. I don't think I would have. I would change anything because, like I said, it's it's made me much, much stronger.
3: <laughs> okay. So before our next story, which is pretty heavy, I'll offer you a brief moment of levity, which is. Uh, <laughs> Uh, for four years, I operated a business down in the Rockaways as a pop-up, sort of a, a subset second location of, of a business that I had operating. So if you're familiar with Jacob Reese Beach, there is a, uh, an area that has sort of um, little vendors that are all in a row. And so I had two concepts that were down there and we prepped in Williamsburg and I drove it down. So. You know, what's better than being a, a business owner who gets to spend all day on the beach, right? My Where my head was at is, all right, I get up at 9 in the morning, I pick up the prep at the restaurant, I'm down at the beach by 11, toes in the sand by 11.30, maybe I get a frozen drink from the bar and, you know, answer some emails. So I'm heading down to the beach, uh, bringing down prep for both restaurants. So my car is fully, fully loaded, and I've got... Uh, chili for my Coney Island concept. I've got uh, pickled vegetables for my Middle Eastern, Mediterranean concept. And as I'm driving down, I'm on the, the BQE and I um, got the windows down and um, my cell phone rings. And, you know, I'm a big, important restaurant owner, so, like, I've got to check my cell phone. You know, what if, <laughs> what if someone calls me at the restaurant and says the Department of Health is there? You know, what if it's, you know, who knows? So, um, so uh, as I'm fumbling for my cell phone to check it and answer it, the car in front of me uh, swerves. And someone pulls into my lane and I look up right at the right time to slam on my brakes and a 12 quart of labna which is yogurt basically um, that someone had used a lid that didn't match the cambro and had double wrapped in plastic went flying from the back of my car and flew in the air and the bottom of it caught another cambro and 12 quarts which if you can imagine what 12 quarts looks like it's like It's literally the most liquid you could ever imagine. It's a bathtub crime scene full of Lobna, right? And I just, I feel it hit my neck. I see it hit the dash. It's 96 degrees. So I pull into the back parking lot of uh, Jacob Reese, and the staff is there to meet me to put everything in the walk-in. And a guy walks up to the car and he goes, hey, man, you know, you've got a spill back here, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I'm aware that I have a spill back there. So everyone, all the other vendors jumped in and everyone did their best to try to help me clean everything off. We got everything into the walk-in to the best of our ability. We got... All the, if you've seen Pulp Fiction, when they clean like the big, yeah. <laughs> sort of like that. Towels scooping up lobna and brain out of my car. And um, fast forward a year later to my, at that time, uh, girlfriend, who is now my wife, and she's in my car, and she says, you know. You always drive with your windows down and I kind of noticed your car smells really bad. <laughs> do you know that? And I said, yeah, it's because of the Lobna incident. So um, so that moment of levity to offer you that, you know, again, a restaurant owner, you never know what's going to happen. Bad things happen. Hopefully people help you out. It's all about what you do after the bad thing happens, I think, that def- that can define you. Not the incident, but how you maybe decide your path to move forward. Johnny, come on.
6: Segway, way to worst thing to fucking
0: happen. Here
6: we go. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, uh, kind of set the tone for this. This is like, I guess, the rise in the fall, and I guess hopefully the eventual rise again. So I'm Johnny Spiro. Uh, I own a restaurant in Georgetown in DC called Reverie, as well as a new restaurant, Bar Spiro. It's pretty cool, I like that place. Uh, so I moved back to D.C. D.C. has been on my on-again, off-again home. I love it and hate it. It's like a super healthy relationship. Uh, I moved back, wanted to open my own restaurant. I did it once when I was 26, didn't work out so well. Thought I would try it again. Uh, opened it in 2018, uh, October 6th. October 16th, my daughter was born. Uh, so like, I'm really good at timing that stuff out because I just did it again. year uh, like whatever, you know, pandemic happened. I had another baby. Uh, and then I have a three-year-old at home right now. So uh, I know where babies come from now. And it's, <laughs> it's kind of nuts. So we're stopping there. But we opened the restaurant. I had partners. Uh, and they are no longer partners anymore. You know, it was a struggle from day one. Everyone knows opening a restaurant is terribly difficult to find your voice. And after a year, you know, it was basically like a wash. We had lost some money. And we're like, okay, let's, if we're going to fail, let's do it the way we want to do it. We're going to, you know, just do tasting menu. Just do 100% see if we'd be the restaurant we want to be. And then the pandemic happened, and they're like, "Great, we're gonna do burgers, and that's how we're gonna get by." Uh, made it through pandemic, went back to doing tasty menus. Uh, we were just, we went through so many different things just to keep our staff paid, to keep my family paid, to keep you know, you know, my wife and family healthy at home. Uh, and we don't go really into that. That's a whole. We don't have enough time for that shit. But uh, you know, this year in was 2022, we were pushing really hard. We have like an amazing staff. Uh, our goal was never to. You know, we never went for accolades or anything like that it was like let's just have fun let's cook the food we want to cook and have a good time and we got a mission star for that so that was dope uh and then that was when we saw the reservations tick up we're like oh shit, we're not losing money every month anymore i can like pay my bills and paying rent on time i'm like this is great like our projections were like oh we're actually gonna make money my investors aren't gonna like me for losing money every year it's like all right cool uh let's keep going so like for three months we were just. Busier than we ever had been. It was like the healthiest the restaurant I've ever been. Our cooks were getting paid. Our servers were getting paid. I was able to pay myself. My wife like that, um, <laughs> and it was. It just seemed like we had gotten kicked in the teeth so many times for the past like three three years, that it was finally our time to like succeed. And, like we can kind of, you know, put our head up, get a little air, breathe, and keep going. Uh, Thursday night in August, I leave the restaurant around midnight. Uh, we had just moved out to the Burbs, so it takes me like 30 minutes to get home. Uh, I get home to my, my wife who is super pregnant at this point, uh, who's like still up waiting for me because she just wants to see me because she never sees me anyway. Uh, my, other, my other two kids are asleep. I finally like, get to bed around like 1.30 and then I hear my phone buzzing around 4. Uh, thinking it was, you know, I do all of our restaurant social media, so it sounds like we're going to turn that shit off. I'm, like someone's just sliding into my DM, so I'll just let it go. Uh, It keeps going and going and going and I I look and it's, you know, it's four o'clock in the morning and it's a text from my upstairs neighbor. Uh, Reverie is down an alleyway in Georgetown off of a one-way street where it's the only way I could afford to open a restaurant in D.C. was literally in the back of a building and our neighbor upstairs is like, hey, just wanted to let you know. This was also like the most casual of text messages. He's like, hey, I think there's a fire downstairs. I don't know if it's from your space, but I'll, I'll keep you posted. And I was like, okay, <laughs> Great. Uh, but then I see that there other missed calls from the fire department, my landlord and all the other tenants in the space and I, I get the call, I grab it and they're like, Johnny, there was a fire in your space, you got to get here. I was like, okay, so I throw on I mean, I'm like blind, throw on my contacts shoes, whatever, and I just it should take me about 45 minutes to get to the restaurant, I got there in 15, uh, and I'm just playing through my head, like, what happened? I left there four hours ago, what's going on? And I get into the space and literally nothing stands, everything is Everything's destroyed. So in a matter of three hours, I lost everything, like, all my personal belongings because I basically live in that restaurant. The picture of, like, all my, like, the pictures I had of my family, of my daughter. My daughter was born, like, was raised in that restaurant. She was born 10 days later. Uh, Nothing was salvageable. I mean, I... It didn't hit me up until probably today uh, what's going on because I'm not good at slowing down. So I just... We opened another restaurant in the process of all this, too. We had another kid. So uh, feeling feelings is really hard when you don't stop. uh, And... I was just standing there down the alley watched them like kick in all the windows. The fire gun put out. There was like two feet of water sitting and everything. And I literally looked at the space that I like killed myself to keep open during a pandemic that I opened over budget, underfunded, uh, had people chasing me down. I couldn't pay myself. And we finally had like a glimmer of hope and it was just taken away from me. And like, and it wasn't anything in the kitchen. It was a, like an electrical fire. Uh, an outlet in the back caught and destroyed literally everything that I had worked for. Uh, and I just kind of stood there and like, in shock, just kind of watching it and like, I didn't cry, not that I didn't feel, because I feel it now, but just like in disbelief and I still was kind of like, still in shock at this point, at this point too, like trying to figure out like what's going on, because your adrenaline's just pumping. Uh, but yeah, it, it took me a little while, like a month later, we were already in the process of opening another restaurant and my wife had our, another kid and uh, I finally like, took a couple of days off to kind of figure out what was going on and I was like, oh yeah, like we kind of lost everything. And the thing that I've, I've learned from the beginning and I think we're, it's all really, really hard for us in the industry is to ask for help. If you're like, you're behind on me some floss in your kitchen, like you don't want to say shit to somebody because you're going to look weak. Yeah. That's not true. Like, if we go down, we all go down, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and the amount of people that reached out and that I normally would have avoided, not to say talking because I don't want to talk about it, but they wanted to offer up, you know, the, like, we went through similar processes, you know, we did this. Like, it's not wrong to ask for help if you don't know to do. Like, opening a restaurant's hard enough, but then how do you navigate? and like a fire that decimates everything that you've worked for. Uh, so for the first time, I kind of just like, I mean, I never, I would always admit I don't know everything, but I really just, I took every bit of advice. Like, I'm like, who should I hire? What should I do? How do I do this? How do I navigate the best possible way? So we're still like dealing with it, but I guess that's the one thing. Like, there was like a lot of ways we could have gone. I could have just sat on that, you know, in that alleyway and said, you know what? Screw it. I'm out. We'll walk away and figure out what to do or like embrace it and just say, okay, like we'll get the insurance money we will eventually at some point. Uh, and we'll rebuild it. And, you know, we, we pushed through to get to a point. Like, it's, I want, I want it, We were succeeding doing what we wanted to do. So, fuck it. Let's just keep going and go hard. Uh, but, yeah, it's, it's, I'm too dumb and stubborn to stop. So, probably to, like, to my own benefit. But, like, looking around and, like, pulling my head on my ass for a minute. Like, realizing how many people are, like, in the background cheering for us. Like, I worked for Jose Andres for a while before he was, like, saving the world. But he still has time to save me. Uh, he, that Friday... I talked to his team. By Saturday, he called me from the Ukraine. Uh, we set up a uh, a little event over at Mini Bar that's going on until the end of November. So, like, we're doing our menu in that space. And then next year, everyone reached out. So, we're going to take the team on the road while we're, like, rebuilding and, re, yeah, reopening the restaurant that I, like, struggled to get open in the beginning. But it's not, like, just embrace it as, you know, a moment to learn and, like, figure out, like, what makes us happy. We don't have, we didn't follow, uh... set of rules and you know check boxes to get you know the attention that we did so we'll never do that and I'm not going to stop just being who we are but yeah it could have destroyed me but it's an opportunity to like restart refresh and kind of wipe away all the bullshit that happened over the past couple years and just really yeah just cook food and have fun so yeah
3: A word on second acts. So, I had a restaurant in Williamsburg and COVID happened, and unfortunately, it became very clear that I wasn't going to be able to come to terms with my landlord and that I was going to have to close that space. Uh, Anyone who's ever worked in a restaurant, who's ever owned a business, will tell you that. Closing something down or leaving a job can be very traumatic and it can feel like a piece of you is being cut out. And uh, I poured everything into that space and I thought that I would stay open there for forever. when it became, right around the time that it became clear that I was no longer gonna be able to stay open there, an opportunity presented itself through this group in Brooklyn called FIG, Food Issues Group, that did some amazing work during the pandemic to feed people in need through Street Vendor Project and also um, at the Alley Forney Center. So my restaurant specifically became a hub to feed uh, people in need that were getting their meals at the Alley Forney Center. Um, so in my saddest personal moment when woe is me, my restaurant is closing, not only was I given an opportunity to do something good, but also provide for a community that was really suffering when truthfully, okay, yeah, I was, I was going to lose my space, but, um, my family was safe. Uh, I had health insurance. I had food in my fridge and I could pay my bills. So I'm actually better off than most people in New York City. And it really put everything in perspective for me. You know, Um, I am my business. My business is me. But there's a lot more that can be just beyond what you do from eight in the seven in the morning to one in the morning. Um, there are other things that, that exist maybe outside of that. So I got to do this great work that was really fulfilling, feed people during the pandemic, and then very unceremoniously closed my restaurant down, which was really hard and I'm not over it yet, but at least the last couple months, which I originally thought were going to be really depressing and sad. Um, and it was during COVID, so it was very, very scary. At least it put those four walls to good work. So, uh, our next story is about, um, you know, decisions being made from having a business and then maybe transitioning to something new.
1: Click. I'm going to read from my phone because I have a lot of um, feelings and words (laughs) that are associated with this topic and um, I have actually never spoken about it um, in public um, or to really anyone other than my mom and my partner, but I'm like already crying. (laughs) um so i also wrote this on the subway here so <laughs> so uh, one lesson i learned that i've still not learned is um not to do things by the seat of your pants but here we are um so my name is claire sprouse um, hunky dory was an all-day bar and restaurant in crown heights brooklyn um, for those of you who aren't familiar with hunky or myself Um, A a quick spoiler alert to this story is that I closed our doors last year in October of 2021. It was just three years prior in 2018 that I had signed a 12-year lease at 747 Franklin Avenue in Brooklyn. I remember this period specifically because it's where an acute awareness of time, um, specifically time, began creeping in and it was unlike any I had known before. Leases are funny things. You fight tooth and nail for them, pay top dollar for the lawyers and for the deposits, despite the ultimately temporary nature of them. My mind started wandering towards those restaurants you read about forced to close after their 15, 20 year lease expires. Despite how beloved they became in their neighborhood, that same neighborhood grew up around them and it wasn't enough to prolong the life of something against the demands that newer steeper rents demanded. And there are my friends whom I watched grinded out year after year, some lovingly, some begrudgingly, as time rolled by and the water stains collected on their bar tops. And of course, there's no denying the few that balance, that found balance in a sustainable, even sometimes lucrative, life in and outside of their restaurants, although those stories are fewer and far in between than we as an industry would like to admit. Um, Perhaps it was my Saturn returns (laughs) at that time, but the cold reality of seeing this 12-year lease commitment articulated so clearly in writing, along with the escalating rent, got me thinking, what would my life look like during, at the end, and after those 12 years? Um, I'd like to pause here and say that um, anyone looking to open a restaurant I strongly urge you to sit and pause with those thoughts before signing the lease. It's always a good time instead of after. <laughs> um, it'll save you a lot of um, toe in and toe out um, inner turmoil throughout the years to follow. Um, I, however, did not pause to ponder or reevaluate if the dreams I had started chasing in my early 20s were the same ones now that I was in my mid 30s. Um, In fact, I had already signed the lease as soon as the lawyer passed it my way and was uh, well on my way to picking out paint samples at Home Depot before the ink was even dry on that personal guarantee. After a quick two-month flip of the space, which included a never-to-be-completed novice tiling job, Hunky Dory opened on January 1st, 2019. In my experience during this opening opening, and the many others I've been a part of, a restaurant really becomes who it is long after a lease is signed. The first year alone morphs you in countless ways. And what kind of restaurant you become in the long term will be um, shaped more by your surrounding neighborhood and its patrons rather than any p l project projections or best laid out business plans of course a bigger shift in our biz- in our short timeline came after we celebrated our one-year anniversary with the arrival of the pandemic and after the many necessary pivots i hate that word pivot uh, <laughs> by the end of our run we had been more hunky in a pandemic than hunky before the pandemic This pandemic version of Hunky was far from what the before looked like, but it was weirdly also its most lauded. Um, We had countless awards and many write-ups. It allowed me to reinvent the way I wanted a restaurant or our industry to be ran. No tipping, equal wages, four-day work weeks, and the opportunities to cross-train or have upward mobility throughout every member of our staff. We hosted pop-ups. We built community. We, we, I, gave so much to our community without really saving anything for myself. Both versions of Hunky were beautiful in their own ways. The community that was created there, um, like I said, did not come at a cost. My partner, who also owned a restaurant, um, Actually, two restaurants. Um, I came, we met up one night in year two of the pandemic. Uh, we had both worked 18-hour workdays after countless 18-hour workdays before that. We were desperately, lazily trying to drink a bottle of wine, both exhausted mentally, physically, and emotionally. He. We talked about our future as a family, and he asked me if I if we honestly thought that we could have a child working the way that we worked in the industry that we worked at that time. I remember it not being a question of defeat or full of any implication or expectation of either of us, but one grounded in the maturity and clarity of our realities. And my heart and my mind returned to those nagging questions of who I am as a restaurant owner, and if that was the present or future that I still wanted for myself. A few months later, I decided to close Hunky, um, but not without much more inner turmoil. In my 20-year hospitality career, I had built a reputation that I had truly valued, one built on sustainability, one on ethics, one on honor, I was never the person to put in their notice before a year at a place. Um, I always covered people's shifts. And I called a friend that day because I had a lot of um, turmoil about not being able to repay my investor. Um, Another lesson, don't have your investor be your exploit friend. (laughs) Um, And he, as a restaurant owner, having closed two restaurants out of the six that he owned at that time told me that while he knew that we, as people of what we thought were people of honor and um, respect and knew that we valued, um, those investments and those stakeholders in our restaurant relationships, but that you can only do so much in a pandemic. And at the end of the day, you have to choose yourself. I announced us closing at the end of October. Shortly after we closed, I was asked if I would consider writing a hunky-dory book. Um, but looking back, I don't know who or what a book would celebrate or grieve, or how it could even encapsulate all of what we did or who we were, or even in my part, my part in it and what I felt like it took for me to, to make it happen. Um, like I said, I hadn't spoken about it until now, and it's weird how funny and funny how people create their own narratives in the absence of you speaking up for yourself. But I will say I don't regret any of it, or the choices that I made, or doing it in the first place. I don't regret getting caught in the inertia of my younger younger self's dreams. Um, I just regret not being able to hold the space for my older present self's realities and desires until just recently. Building a family and building a community and building the sustainability of myself was what I most wanted it is what I most wanted, and I couldn't do it and as a restaurant owner, and I didn't want to. It wasn't a matter of my ability, but again, it was a matter of my wants. And that's a really um, important distinction. Um, like I said, we closed Hunky Dory a week, um, almost a year ago. It'll be a year next Monday. Um, it's also... Uh, the four week birthday of my newborn. Um, And I'm grateful I was able to sunset my business on my own terms, especially in the midst of so many restaurants closing in the pandemic and never reopening again. I got to say goodbye and I got to say hello to a new chapter in my life and to be in service to my family and to my community. In real ways, in sustainable ways, Thank you.
3: Thank you, Claire, for sharing that. Uh, one more big round of applause for all of our storytellers. it's pretty impossible to encapsulate all the emotions and all the stories that we've told tonight because the world of restaurants and hospitality and, and small business owners is like, it's everything. Like it spans the gamut, right? Like you pour everything you have into it. And at the end of the day, it's so intertwined with so many people's lives. but. Um, I'm going to leave you with this thought, which is, um, many years ago, I ran a restaurant with my brother in, uh, the Hamptons and we, on July 4th, uh, my, my brother's wife was pregnant and he had to leave. And, uh, he said, all right, you got this? And I said, I do not got this. Uh, Where are you going? he said, I'm going back to Brooklyn. And so I was left with this enormous restaurant with a lot of people that were relying on me to lead them, and I wasn't ready. And they were looking to me, and what I realized is, like, I actually was going to look back to them and let them lead me. And it became super apparent when, based on an accidental terrible confluence of situations, the entire restaurant and backyard got sat essentially at the same time and 460 people got sat. And the ticket machine, which is the like nightmare of anyone that ever works in a restaurant, just started hammering, hammering, hammering. Tickets, 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 pouring, pouring, pouring. And as the tickets are coming out, we, you know, we kind of started laughing. You know, like,
0: <laughs> like this is
3: this is insurmountable. You know, this is too many tickets. And, you know, it's like the, the way the expo worked was like I was expo, but there was a guy in the inside of the kitchen, and he was sort of like the inside expo, right? So he's sort of like relaying to his line mates what's going on because he's the pass through on that side. And he goes, we'll cook, they'll eat, everyone will leave happy, right? <laughs> and I said to the GM, I was like, get us a bottle. We all took the tickets were just pouring. We, we all took a nice shot, and I just said, cook. And everyone, whatever was coming off their station, they just made it, which is, like, obviously the exact opposite of what you're supposed to do, right? Like, so the guy on grill just, like, cooked and chickens and steaks and threw them in the window, and pizza threw stuff in the window. But I think what's so amazing about restaurants is that You know, you've got people here that are like at the top, right? And they're sharing their stories. But the fabric of the restaurant is really everybody that's there and everyone together. And so it's really, you know, you're only as good as everyone that is there around you. So whether or not you open or close or reopen or whatever it might be, uh, you know, if it's your idea or not your idea, you have to rely on other people and there's a million lessons to be learned along the way when you're at the top and when you're the leader and a lot of those lessons you learn from everyone else around you at the restaurant. And I think that's what's so cool about this event is that we've all heard stories from so many different people and they've shared their story and hopefully it's been, you know, Uh, entertaining but also I I hope that you've taken something away from these stories whether you're a small business owner or not and when people are listening to this podcast you know you're gonna take things away from all these stories and you're gonna realize that um, these like really serious emotional moments that happen for these people like they're sharing them because um, it was cathartic hopefully hopefully for them but also because like in this industry we're like a giving industry. All we do is give, give, give. So what they're doing is sharing a part of themselves so that hopefully um, someone that comes afterwards can learn something from it. So I hope you enjoyed this uh, HRN storytelling event. I hope you learned something. I hope you took something away from it. And thank you so much for everyone for sharing your stories because that is really hard. And a lot of these, all these stories were intense and very personal. And that is what it is to, you know, Be a small business owner. It is intense and it is personal and it is unbelievably hard. So, um, kudos for sharing your story and thank you all for listening and being here. Thank Thank you. The line is powered by Simplecast.